This is an audio sermon recorded at Highway 71 Church of Christ in Alma, Arkansas. We are Christians seeking to worship God in spirit and in truth. We would love for you to worship with us at 1030 on Sunday mornings at 1808 Highway 71 North in Alma, Arkansas. And good morning again to those who I haven't said good morning to already. It's good to see all y'all here. And it's been a while since I've been up here. Um, I don't know what to make of that, but I guess it's time to be back. All right. I don't know why, but I wanted to speak on idolatry. Don't have a reason for that, so if you're sitting in the pew thinking, he's doing this for me. <laughs> no. <laughs> if, any, if anything, really, I'm doing it for myself, as we men tend to do, right? I think that's, that's uh, probably not a bad thing because you know what we struggle with is not unique to us we are not alone we're all in this together we first see physical idols in the bible uh, when rachel steals her father laban's house idols as uh, she and jacob and the rest of the whole family, sheep, and everything, like, uh, abscond while Laban is out shearing his sheep for a few days. And he doesn't even hear about it until three days later when he gets back. What? They're gone. What do you mean they're gone? No, they're gone. And so are the house, house items, Laban. <laughs> so, that's the first thing. I don't really know what. Where did they use those house idols for? I, I don't know, but... Remember that uh, he went up there. That's, you know, Abraham's family is up there and worshipers of, of God. So what's up with the house idols? Well, polytheism was a pretty common practice back then. So a lot of uh, God worshipers may have also been, you know, other worshipers too. Or at least dabbled here and there. We'll get into that. By the time Jacob's descendants uh, find themselves enslaved in Egypt, idols and uh, idol worship is prevalent throughout the land. I mean, Egypt is heavily polytheistic. Worship many gods. Now, the ten plagues were specifically, uniquely designed by God to just sort of start popping out lots of these different gods. I'm stronger than that one, I'm stronger than that one, I'm stronger than these. Starting with the God of the Nile, Hapi, H-A-P-I. Uh, it's a blue-skinned God, typically. A lot, of, a lot of gods of fertility back then because, you know, there's a lot of agriculture. A lot of societies based on agriculture and, uh, you know, like which, which gods did they serve? Well, the, the gods that were, you know, helpful for agriculture. Of course, 
God's uh, plagues eventually worked its way up to the sun god, Ra, with the darkness so dark, you could feel it. And eventually, of course, Pharaoh himself, which was perceived by the people as deified, or at least partially deified, while here on earth, and dismantled their entire religious system in this uh, catastrophic uh, sequence of plagues. And one might think that the Israelites would have been all too happy <laughs> to have uh, clung solely to God alone, the God of their fathers, their rescuer, uh, when they left Egypt. However, that doesn't seem to be the case. God states in Amos, Did you offer me sacrifices and offerings in the wilderness 40 years, O house of Israel? You also carried Sikuth, your king, and Kiyun, your idols, the star of your gods, which you made for yourselves. Therefore, I will send you into captivity beyond Damascus, says the Lord, whose name is the God of hosts. I like that. Didn't weren't you offering to me those forty years in the desert? But but you are here these other things with you too. Am I not your God? Isn't my name the God of hosts of all of it? The God of gods? And he mentions their coming captivity. There's punishment associated with the worship of other gods. In Canaan, the Israelites adopted the worship of Baal, or Baal, and Asherah, God and goddess of fertility, and god of rain, harvest, rider of the clouds. Generally, again, talking about agricultural things, because, you know, that's how they make their living, right? Out of the ground. So who are going to serve there? These gods, they're, they're going to be gods that help produce stuff out of the ground, have kids, all that kind of stuff. Don't, don't take uh, lightly the idol worship. The idol worship is sin, and Satan never wastes an opportunity to pull someone down into the abyss who is given to sin. And the ancient idolatry frequently included a ritualistic or sacred prostitution, uh, sometimes in groups. Uh, the practice of sacred prostitution uh, typically associated with organized idolatry, uh, places uh, pagan worship in temples, and I think it was probably also part of God's judgment against Israel when he was using the allegory of Israel, the harlot. You have played the harlot. You have gone up on these high places and you have played the harlot. Like, well, there was both a figurative and I think literal language there at the same time to illustrate uh, just the depravity of their spirituality. 
And it doesn't stop there. It gets terribly worse. I won't go as far as what I've read it goes. But I will say that eventually Israel got to the point where they were frequently and multiple times doing child sacrifices, often something called foundation sacrifice, where before you started a big project or built something, you sacrificed your child for the founding. And I think part of that is what God was referring to maybe in the uh, curse of Jericho after the Israelites came and raised it to the ground. God established a curse. No one is going to rebuild this city, but at the cost of their firstborn to build the walls and build the city at the cost of their uh, secondborn. Forget that. So why? I mean, it gets so dark and so bad. And you got God in the times in the Bible just makes a mockery of these idols. It's like you, you, you've cut down a tree and you... You carve up half of it and you worship it and the other half you, you burn for fuel. There's nothing there. Elijah on Mount Carmel. Oh, he cried louder. Baal can't hear you. Maybe he's uh, sleeping. Maybe he's out using the bathroom. So I mean, he mocks them. And of course, nothing happens. Until it was Elijah's turn, God showed, and then boom, you know, he barely gets it out of his mouth, and fire comes down from heaven, some big lightning bolt or something, and just, you know, incinerates, vaporizes the whole thing right there, water, trench, and all. So why? It's not like they hadn't seen. I mean, they, you know, they had the history, the two plagues. They, they saw the waters part. They, you know, and they, again, they're going into Jordan. They saw all the conquests that God gave them. They gave into their hand when they shouldn't have got any. Why? Why make these idols? I think in short, it's a way of getting what they want. It's just a way of getting what they want. They're seeking a way besides God to get what they want. So, why? God isn't giving them what they, what they want. You know how we are. We're people, right? We want what we want when we want it. Sometimes God says, not now. Sometimes God says, not like that. Sometimes God just says, no. And when sometimes we don't like to hear it. Sometimes we just don't ask. You know? What is the old saying? Better to ask forgiveness than permission. <clears throat> but notice that there's a, there's a shift. When God is, is put in this situation in these people's hearts... The focus isn't on God anymore. It had shifted long off of, uh, off of God long ago because it wasn't on God. It was on God's blessings. I like God for what He can give me. And I want more of His blessings. 
And so I, I want more of this stuff. Well, God is providing that. So either if we fire God and we replace him with some other deity that can or that supposedly does get me what I want, or, you know, a little safer route, right? We, we supplement. Anybody, anybody take, you know, vitamin pills, supplements? Or, you know, you're doing something over here, but that's mostly good enough, but, you know, I'm going to supplement over here. You know, I'm saving up for retirement here, but, you know, maybe there's a little, I've got something, another retirement savings over here that, you know, one supplements the other. And together, they'll be, they're sufficient. So they supplemented God with these idols. God tells them how to worship. Well, I think, well, that's, that's a nice idea and all, but, you know, I was looking for something a little more, you know, razzmatazz, you know, a little, something a little more interesting. There's the odd story in the book of Judges. There's some odd stories in the book of Judges of people's <laughs> bizarre behavior. There's a story of a man named Micah. And he, it's kind of weird starting out. He, he steals from his mother a huge sum of silver, 1,100 pieces of silver. And then he hears that his mom has you know, cursed the person that stole the silver. And so he, he repents and brings it back to mom. And he confesses. And it's, it, the Lord bless him. You know? So, you know, we're in Israel. Godly-ish. And uh, then she says, I'm going to dedicate this silver uh, to the Lord. So... She takes 200 shekels on it and she gives it to a, uh, an idol maker to make her an idol and to, for her son. So then her son gets this idol and then he makes, I mean, he, he you know, sets up the, the shrine and stuff. He makes this, you know, a vest and some tools for worshiping. And he, he starts off making his, his, one of his kids, the, the priest for the idol, but eventually this wandering Levite comes along, it's a young man, <clears throat> you know, and fresh out of Levite college, I guess, and so Judges 17, 12, so Micah consecrated the Levite, they strike up this bargain, you live here, you be my priest for me. Okay, so Micah consecrated the Levite, and the young man became his priest and lived in the house of Micah. And then Micah said, Now I know that the Lord will be good to me since I have a Levite as priest. You see what's happening there? He's wanting more blessings of God. Well, what has he got to do to get more blessings from God? And he moves some things around. It's cargo cult, uh, cult you know, worship and stuff. Well, if I get the right, you know, image, if I get the right person, if I get the right 
stuff in, in place. If I'm going to you know, move this stuff around, then God will bless me. And his heart's still not on God. It's, not, it's still on getting the blessings. I don't want those blessings. Now I've got a Levite. Okay, now I'm, I, I'm in like Flynn. You know, I've got my own Levite priest. Surely God will be good to me now. And uh, next page over, the Danites show up and they, they take a bunch of his stuff, his idols, <coughs> and they say to the Levite, hey, why don't you come with us? You know, instead of being just one man's priest, why don't you be, you know, priest to a whole people? That sounds like a pretty good gig, so he goes, you know. <laughs> things, were, things were not good, were they? That's not the way God wants it. You contrast this with Job. In Job, Satan, Satan argues with God. Well, of course, Job is your servant. Look, you, you like guarded him on all sides, and he is just wealthy amongst everybody. And you blessed him to abundance, but he can't say no. He didn't argue that. I mean, and, and, and the, 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 the seminal question, will he serve you for nothing? That's, that's the question. I love it when uh, Mr. Russell's here. He put that question up. He just made that sort of like a... Oh, and for some reason, for whatever reason, that struck me more that day than I had any other time I, I read the book of Job. Will you serve God for nothing? What did Job say? In the midst of all of his sufferings and all the stuff that, I mean, he stripped him of his children and it was, you know, a welcoming position and his health. Even his wife was encouraged to curse God and die. Job says, The Lord giveth. The Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He will serve God for nothing. Because of who God is. End of story. Book of Job's a lot longer than that, but isn't that wonderful? I mean, that, I feel like that kind of sums it up a, a lot. I look at idolatry as like the mechanism or subject for pursuing one's own will instead of God's will. And this is the ultimate issue that Christ attacked head on in the Garden of Gethsemane. He is there. He goes up there for a reason. He, he knows his time to be arrested is uh, imminent. And he's going to be beaten, tortured, crucified, shamed. The, you know, the, the worst that Satan can throw at him is going to be laid upon his shoulders. It's the sin of the world. He goes up there ahead of time to prepare his mind and his heart. 
Luke, in Luke, and he was withdrawn from them, the apostles about a stone's throw, and he knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if it is your will, take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And in Matthew, again, a second time, he went away and prayed, saying, Oh, my Father, if this cup cannot pass away from me unless I drink it, your will be done. There was the battle. Christ met the battle head on. Early, like David, running down the hill to meet Goliath, ran, charged, and slew his opponent. Satan had no chance really against Jesus. Jesus' heart was given to his Father. Let's go back to uh, the Old Testament. So the Israelites just get out of Egypt, they get across, everything's fantastic. And then God shows up and gives him the Ten Commandments. This is Exodus chapter 20. He starts, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in earth beneath or that is in the water, under the earth, you shall not bow down to them nor serve them. If it wasn't clear from the first, let me just unpack it. God says, none of it. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing mercy to thousands to those who love me and keep my commandments. And that's, that's the first few commandments. There are the Ten Commandments. That's the start. And later on, a few chapters later, all the people, they're hearing Moses tell them this. Now, before that, I'm going to back up. So God has come down and is telling them this, like I'm talking to you. And, they're, and they made a big deal about not approaching the mountain. And it turns out it was like, well, we didn't have to do anything because the people are, you know, scared senseless. They're way back here because God is, like, awesome. Like, terribly awesome. I mean, it's like a combination of, like, a thunderstorm and a volcano and a tornado. All happening at the same time. A big burn olive on this mountain. And here this monstrous voice comes out. And you're just... You know, shaking to the bone. And so they're like, don't, Moses, you talk to him and you tell us because we're going to, they're, they're, he's going to scare us to death. So Moses does, and they said, this is a reply, all that the Lord has said, we will do and be obedient. They are committed. I mean, look at what all they've seen. How can they not be, right? So Moses goes up on, the, up on the mountain to receive further commandment from God. He's up there for 40 days. And uh, 
And when the people saw that Moses delayed coming down from the mountain, the people gathered together to Aaron and said, Aaron, come, make us gods that we shall go before us. For as for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we don't know what's happened to him. Is that not incredible? Uh, 40 days, that's all he has. I mean, trying to look at it from their side, they just left Egypt, had all his miracles and stuff. God is just incomprehensibly powerful. And they're, they're excited to get out, and then they're, okay? And 40 days later, like, no. Uh, we're ready to go, you know. We don't know what happened to Moses. So uh, make us gods that shall go before us. It's incredible. I mean, God made a point to tell them. Actually, he told Moses, uh, Moses I skipped the part where he says, no, really, tell the people, emphasize the part about the, the gods and the images and you know, the idols. Don't make any. And what are they, they? That's exactly what they did. The one big thing, all the things. Like here is the number one thing emphasized from the beginning. Don't do this. Forty days later, let's do that. It's incredible. It didn't take long. Why had the conviction so quickly evaporated? The things just evaporate quickly in the desert. Is that it? Their hearts were never given to God. They were impressed. Wow. Wow. What does the Bible say? Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Church, my family. Signs will never establish. You know, it, it's never going to make life easier. It, it's not going to it, make. Well, it, you know, if if God, you know, what was it with with Gideon? Like, what? what yeah, why don't why don't you um you know make the the fleece wet and the ground dry? Okay, well, yeah. let's do it one more time. Let's make the fleece dry and the ground. Wet. You know, after that, he was still scared. After all he had seen, he was still scared. The signs aren't ever going to do it for you. We don't run off of miraculous works. God didn't make us that any more than our minivan was made to run off of banana milkshakes. You know, it just, that's not what it runs on. It runs on gasoline, and God built you to run on faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. What is the victory? that overcomes the world. It is your faith. It's not seeing the Red Sea split and you walk through it and the lightning. You see like the silhouette of whale in this wall of water. Whoa! You know, as cool as that would have been, you know, if, if, if you know, the movie The Prince of Egypt was accurate at all. That's what it's showing. Because <laughs> they don't the cool part of the movie. I'm so impressed with that. Animation that the thought, whoa, it's a whale right 
there. And that's, that doesn't last. It, it, might last, it might last 40 days. But that's not long enough, is it? Their hearts were not given to the Lord. What did Jesus say in the, in the parable of the sower? Four types of soil. Three of them thought, okay, yeah, this is good stuff. But only one stay committed. Only the one. It works with people going to the gym every January, too, by the way. I've noticed that. Yeah, around January, the gym gets real full. It's like, oh, huh? Yeah. Yeah, some people, you know, like, nah. You know, but most, yeah, it's just I, there's something good in this. But after a while, yeah, two thirds, you know, they're, they're done. I'm not, I'm not meaning to step on your toes about the gym. It's, it profits a little, but, you know. I'm not here to talk about the gym. The great commandment. When the Pharisees heard that he had silenced, that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. Then one of them, a lawyer, asked Jesus a question, testing him and saying, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus answered, answer, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your heart. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. It's on those two. It's a hard issue, isn't it? There's no escaping that. It always comes back to that. Let's go back to the Ten Commandments. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. You shall have no other gods before me. Down to verse 6. I'm showing mercy to thousands to those who love me. That's not a New Age translation. I checked several. They all say that. Love me. Ten Commandments. Right there. It's been there all along. You've got to love the Lord. It doesn't work otherwise. It's because it's about the Lord. It's not about the stuff you get from God. It's about God Himself. Now, this isn't to say that God is holding out on you. We know that the Lord withholds from us no good thing. But who's the best judge of what's good for us? It's not us. And I'm glad. Because I would not be here if it was all up to me. I'd have made it so terrible mess. I would probably be in jail. And I don't mean like prison ministry. <laughs> Anything that takes the position in your heart that belongs to God alone is idolatry. 
Or what receives your worship? What what do you worship? Not just lip service. I mean, what do you really worship? Maybe if you say you don't think you do. We can lie to ourselves sometimes. Matthew 15, the scribes and Pharisees who were from Jerusalem came to Jesus saying, Why do your disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat bread. And he answered them. Why do you also transgress the commandment of God because of your tradition? For God commanded, saying, Honor your father and your mother. And he who curses father or mother, let him be put to death. But you say, Whoever says to his father or mother, Whatever profit you might have received from me is a gift to God. And he need not honor his father or mother. Thus you have made the commandment of God of no effect by your tradition, hypocrites. Well did Isaiah prophesy about you, saying, These people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me, and in vain they worship me. In vain they worship me, teaching his doctrines, the commandments of men. That should get our attention because we know we ought to be people that are, uh, you know, spending time in the Word, right? You have your Bible time? We have, we have Bible time. And, you know, and we esteem those who do spend lots of time in the Word, those who study the Word and who, who make it a point to, to know a lot about the Word of God. It is a treasure after all. And so did the people back then. Now this isn't new to us. Right? And the Pharisees were those people given to study the Word of God. They were those people. I had seen. They knew it. They had memorized it. They had spent countless hours a day memorizing, figuring, studying on the law of God. But the Pharisees, they liked that respect of the people. They like that, you know, highly esteemed position. The best seats at the tables, people standing up and they came in, oh, that's so-and-so. And over time, they came to like it more and more, to be greedy about getting it. They came to covet that scene with the people, that position. And it usurped God's throne in their hearts. And so they were even they were even with all their studying at that point, they were blinded to what the law they had memorized was even telling them. Because their heart wasn't seeking God anymore. Their heart was seeking popularity, respect among the people.
You know, that can happen from different sources. Uh, we want something. Oh, we, want, we do. We're people, right? We want something. We start thinking about what we want. You know, maybe it's a project. Maybe it's a big purchase. Maybe it's, you know, future plans. Everybody start thinking about it. We start thinking about more. It's like, oh, you know, that's, that's going to be the... Gonna be the real deal. Maybe we start thinking about it too much. We get greedy. And it deposes God from his rightful position. See, covetousness is idolatry. Paul writes, therefore, put to death your members which are on the earth. Fornication uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience. You know, a lot of those things I listed right there, that, 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 you, could, you could have packaged those up and said, yep, that was Baal worship. Let me go back to the Ten Commandments again. Back to Exodus chapter 20. So we started off with what? You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself any carved image, no idols, not to bow down to them or serve them. Idolatry. None of it, God says. How do we end? This is how we end the Ten Commandments. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, nor his male servant, nor his female servant, nor his ox, nor his donkey, nor anything that is your neighbor's. Thou shalt not covet. Which is idolatry. Isn't that interesting? It's like bookends for the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments, they get it, don't they? It's about your heart. Not your heart. That's what the whole thing, this, it, all of it, based on love the Lord, love your neighbor. tempted to covet your neighbor's ox or donkey. You might be. Uh, I'm not. No. No, I am content for them to keep the donkey and their oxen or cattle in this case. But maybe it's something else. You know, I mean, one of the typical things, you know, the house, better job, new car, truck, SUV, minivan. I, you're right. 
but you know, I mean, I've got a white Honda Odyssey up here, and I can see how, you know, given enough time, somebody sees that white Honda Odyssey, and sees it, and sees it, and sees it. Before you know it, they just say, I've got to have a white Honda Odyssey, and it becomes an issue for them. Go out and get that white Honda Odyssey. Oh, kidding. Yeah, that's that's the trick, though, isn't it? It's because I mean, there's nothing wrong with getting a minivan. You know, why you didn't get it for your family? So, you know, you're not getting it because it's you know the coolest thing out there. <laughs> you know, Julian, you got you looking to trade in your car up there? Minivan. Yeah, wouldn't that be cool? I mean, that, 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 you get rid of that five-speed, right? Get you. Let me tell you, there's a lot of room in those things. You can put a lot of speakers. <laughs> what do you think? your uh, plans or stuff will bring you. You know, it's, it's, it's difficult because there's nothing inherently wrong in those things. It's when they depose God. It's when they take God's place. Is your heart still given to God or is your heart starting to fade towards, towards the idol? What do you think will bring you more joy? What are you looking for? More joy? You want, I don't need something happy. <laughs> Maybe you look, you know, these are uncertain times. Maybe you're looking for more security. I want more security. Or maybe you're, you know, I'm tired of the government telling me what to do. I want more liberty. What's your answer? Joy? Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now don't, don't waste your time on you know, this sugary happiness of the world. Get that joy. Alas, that's fuller. And God has all of them. Fill you with all joy. Now you're looking for joy. God. There's security. Paul writes, I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's security. Don't lay up treasures for yourself where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal. Treasure in heaven where it is secure. Liberty, stand fast therefore in the liberty by which Christ has made us 
free. Free in Christ. And do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. You want liberty? <laughs> it's the idol that enslaves. Christ liberates. So what do you want? It's the question that Satan asks you. It's uh, kind of a misleading, kind of a trick question. Because the answer really ought to be, I want the Lord. It's like, yeah, yeah, but besides that, what is it that you want? Is the question he asks Jesus, what do you want? You want to reclaim the world, Jesus? Is that what you want? Is that what you came for? To take back the world? Well, the devil took him up to an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said, all these things I will give you. I'll give them to you. If you will fall down and worship me. Isn't that what Jesus came here to do? Reclaim the world? This is where this, the Word of God is used to great effect. Double-edged sword. You know, dividing, you know, basically right and wrong. Jesus answers, Away with you, Satan. For it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and Him only shall you serve. For what will you fall down and worship? Will you fall down and worship? That's what Satan wants to know. God writes or says to Ezekiel, Son of man, have you seen what the elders of the house of Israel do in the dark? Every man in the room of his idols. Isn't that a spooky verse? Have you seen? Have you seen, Ezekiel? What they do in the dark, every man in the room of his idols. They're alone. Alone, and alone to their thoughts. No one knows. No one sees. Paul writes to Ephesians. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not even be named among you as is fitting for saints, neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know, that no fornicator, unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. No inheritance. You've heard me say this before. Nature abhors a vacuum. Right? It's hard to create a vacuum and keep it that way. You want proof? Go clean off your dresser. <laughs> right? Clean it off. You know, 
dust it, nice and shiny, and then just step back and watch the stuff accumulates. Kitchen table, counter. Nature bores a vacuum. It just has a way of sucking stuff in. It's going to push something in there. So Paul, if I, if I put all this stuff away, what do I fill it with? You know? I, I get rid of it. Now what? Paul answers that right in the middle there. Nor foolish talking, nor coarse jesting, uncleanness, covetousness. But rather, instead, here it is, giving of thanks. Replace it with that. It's easy to think on the things that we want. Kids about this. We, we tend to think about the things we don't have more than the things we do have. Just, it's just uh, our nature. It makes, it makes you, you know, discontent. To always be thinking on the, the next thing. Well, I'm going to do this. I, I'm going to get this. I'm going to go there. Right? And we don't spend much time thinking about all we do have. If you exercise your mind with wants, what is it going to be good at? It's going to be good at wanting. Instead, exercise your mind with thanksgiving. And what will it be good at? Being thankful. Don't we want to be a grateful people? Let's exercise towards that. Jesus said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. The flesh seeks gratification by getting, but the soul receives gratification by giving. Wait, I, I think we're better givers when we're thankful. You know, when we are really thankful for all the stuff that we've been given, it, it's a lot easier to, to give that away. Whether it be time, or money, or objects, or just, you know, just your care. When you're truly thinking about, wow, look at all the stuff and the blessings that God has given me, we're much more positioned to be givers ourselves. So take time to be thankful. It's, a, uh, it's like vitamin C against idolatry. So take time to be thankful. Just rest. 
Rest in the moment. You know, don't don't rush by it. Rest in it. Give yourself time to be thankful. Let it soak in like a warm bath. And and just be on. I don't mean O-D-D, I mean A-W-E-D. Be awed at how blessed you are. I think Psalm 139 really captures that. It's the psalm about God thinking and knowing and caring for us. O Lord, you have searched me. You have known me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thought afar off. You comprehend my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. There's not a word on my tongue, but behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You have hedged me behind and before and laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. it the psalmist is like, he starts, he just starts contemplating all the things that God knows about. And it just builds, and it builds, and it builds, and it just sort of overflows. His cup runneth over, so to speak, in the moment. You know, it's just too wonderful for me. I, I can't even comprehend it. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall fall on me, even the night shall be light about me. Indeed, the darkness shall not hide from you, but the night shines as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to you. For you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you. When I was made in secret, skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth, your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed. In your book, in your book, they all were written, the days fashioned for me, when as yet there were none of them. Oh, how precious also are your thoughts to me, O God! How great is the sum of them! If I should count them, they would be more in number than the sand. When I awake, I am still with you. Oh, he is given. His heart is given to God, and you can see it's just coming off the page here. It's oh, that the, that you would slay the wicked, oh God. Depart from me, therefore, you bloodthirsty men. I want none of it. Isn't that isn't that the heart that God wants from the from the Ten Commandments? None of it. No, no idolatry. Not even a little. Get rid of them. All the items. Depart from me, therefore, you bloodthirsty men. 
For they speak against you wickedly. Your enemies take your name in vain. That's another one of the Ten Commandments, isn't it? This, the psalmist's heart is totally given to God. And all, all of those commandments, they, just, they seem disgusting to, to the psalmist. Do I not hate them, O Lord, who hates you? Do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with perfect hatred. I count them my enemies. He hates them. Who does he love? He loves the Lord. He loves the Lord. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties. See if there is any wickedness in me. Is there any wicked way in me, God? Look, look. Look for it. In it out. And lead me in the way everlasting. The psalmist took time to think about God. To give his mind to considering the works of the Lord and how loving God has been towards him and it naturally reciprocates doesn't it these thoughts they, they drive us beyond thankfulness to God they drive us to just like the psalmist to this just adoration and worship of the Lord not of the idol. Idol is a disgusting, trivial thing. When our heart is given to the Lord, there's no room for the idol. The Lord is too awesome. Everything pales in comparison. So I'll close with this. From John. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Amen. That's how he ends 1 John, the book, the letter. Keep yourselves from idols. If you need the prayers of the church, or if you want to be baptized into Christ, now is the time. So, let's stand and sing and worship our Father. We hope you have enjoyed this message recorded at Highway 71, Church of Christ. If you have questions concerning this message or would like to set up a study, please call 479 647 2658. May God bless you.